Hello, and welcome to Speaking Of, conversations on voice, speech, and identity with me, Ryan O'Shea. Each episode, I'm talking with a guest who has a real question about voice, speech, or presence. Then I'm guiding them through concepts and exercises to help them and you understand a bit more about their question. In this episode, I'm joined by the brilliant Joanna Kasdan. Joanna is a speech pathologist with a specialty in vocal health. She's also a singer and a certified teacher of Fitzmorris voice work, so she has a really well-rounded approach of marrying health and technique with performance. In this episode, I ask Joanna questions from you, our listeners. We cover everything from which type of tea is best for your voice, to what vocal nodules are, to what tongue tension could be telling us. I learned a lot myself, and I'm really excited to share Joanna's wisdom with you all. Here we go. So Joanna, welcome. Thank you. So tell us a little bit uh, about yourself, your background, and what you're doing these days career-wise. Well, I'll start with what I'm doing these days. I am a licensed speech pathologist uh-huh. specializing in vocal cord problems at a major medical center in Los Angeles. So I sit in an outpatient clinic in a tiny little room full of furniture with electronic medical records on my desk and wow. computer stuff, barely enough room for people to move around and breathe. And I see people with various kinds of vocal cord problems who've been sent to me by doctors. Beautiful. What brought you to this career path? It was a pretty long and winding road. I started as a music and theater kid and had a kind of dual track of studying mostly theater, but performing mostly music. Ah, okay. So I was a singer-songwriter on the road in the 70s, before the word indie was invented and before (laughs) it was considered cool for women to be doing that on their own. Yes. But I had interesting adventures and found that theater training did as much for my voice as singing training did. Ah, very good. So I was doing both. And um, landed in L.A., ran into a life crisis in my mid-30s of health problems, financial problems, family problems, all at once, pretty much. Wow. And could no longer play guitar, could no longer type, which was my day job. And had to say, okay, what am I going to do with my life now? What am I going to be when I really grow up? And since I had been seeing individual people for singing lessons here and there all along the way, and actually a book of careers literally fell open in my hands to the page for speech therapy. Wow. And I went back to school at that point and graduated shortly before I was 40 did general work in the medical field as a speech therapist in hospitals and so on, stroke patients, veterans, all of that. Uh And then finally, a specialty voice clinic opened here, and I was able to specialize. Wonderful. So these days, it's now all coming together, but it it took a lot of threads braided together to get here. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited because you know, when I I put a call out for questions for you, I got a lot of response from people going, what does that mean? What is a speech therapist that I just sort of assumed people knew what that meant? So I had to do a lot of clarifying and going, don't worry so much about the title so much, but here are the types of questions that you could ask, Mm -hmm. which 
is our segue into what this episode is. Uh, I'm going to be asking you questions that we got from listeners mm-hmm. that we're hoping you could enlighten us on. Sure. All right. So the the first one, this is one that you said that you get all of the time, which is when I'm drinking tea, which is better? Should I have it with lemon or should I have it with honey? And the answer is your vocal cords don't care. Ah, okay. Because anything that you eat or drink goes down a different pipe and hits your throat about two inches above your vocal cords and then gets directed to your stomach. So it's whatever feels good in your mouth, whatever you'll drink plenty of to keep your body hydrated. And that's pretty much it. Hot or cold. There was also a question about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lemon or honey. Yeah. So it it doesn't affect your your throat itself that you do feel that contact, whatever feels good, basically. Whatever whatever feels good. That's quite a ways away from your vocal cords because your vocal cords are in your airway. We would drown every time we drank water. That's right. If that were the case. Your vocal cords also have a day job, which is regulating air and protecting your lungs. And your lungs don't want lemon or honey or coconut water (laughs) or olive oil or all the other concoctions that people think will lubricate their vocal cords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good clarification. And of course, I'm sitting here going, well, that's so obvious, but... But it's really not. I explain it every day of the week to people because it it's just at the, that division between the air tube and the swallow tube is just below the level of consciousness. Yeah. By design, because it's really important yeah, to keep yeah, those yeah. things straight. And so it feels like we have one throat, but right behind where we can't see it or feel it anymore, it divides into this major separation. Okay, beautiful. So really, it's following what feels good, what soothes you. What soothes you and what keeps you otherwise healthy and hydrated. Beautiful. So do you have recommendations of, ooh, no, so actually here's what I want to ask you because you're just getting over bronchitis. Yes. Yes. So I would love to hear from you what has been your self-care process during this time? Um, Mostly it was rest and eating the few things that I had appetite for. I had some nausea along Mm. with it, partly reacting to one of the antibiotics that I was on and then reacting to the cough syrup. So my voice was really bad for a few days and I just didn't need to use it much. Yep. I'd say to my husband, I'm going back to bed now. (laughs) And he'd say, yeah, your voice sounds really bad. Can I get you some more tea? And that was pretty much it. So it was really taking care of the rest of my body. And I would offer that as a theme to people, Mm. that the vocal cords are, and the vocal mechanism as a whole is sensitive to everything else in our health, Mm. our mental health, stress level, and our relationships with the world. And if you're taking care of all of those other aspects of wellness, your vocal cords are going to be a lot happier. You know, it's funny that you say that because I was sharing that last, about this time last year, a little over a year ago, I got laryngitis and completely lost my voice for the first time in like since I was a teenager. I used to use lose my voice a lot when I was a teenager and it always corresponded with, um, I did a lot of like talent shows and competitions, Mm -hmm. singing competitions, Mm -hmm. and I 
lost it like without fail the week of the competition always. And looking back, I'm going, oh my gosh, that had to have been stress. I mean, I think use, I I, I didn't have the training and the knowledge that I had now, or I was mm-hmm. probably abusing my voice as well. Right. What's your sense of, you know, when I look back at this time last year when I lost my voice, it was when I was busier than ever. So not getting a ton of sleep. I I did have, you know, a lot of irritation, extra mucus and sinus stuff, you know, so, but I had never completely lost my voice like that. It was really, really scary. Do you think that that like actual loss of that is that is that pretty common where people will completely lose all functioning of the vocal folds usually i can't speak to how common it is uh-huh. it certainly can happen usually by the time i'm seeing someone they've got a little bit okay. left if uh, assuming that it's that kind of injury yeah. there are people who have no voice for other medical reasons like like paralysis and yeah. things but you're absolutely right that Lack of sleep and a heavy schedule of demands and a lot of pressure to perform even when you're sick yeah. is pretty much a perfect recipe for, <laughs> for vocal problems. And unfortunately, a lot of artists find themselves in that situation. Yeah. If you don't take care of your vocal cords, the world will not help you. Yeah. Because the demands are insane and nobody that's not a singer will will fully understand how much self-care you need. Yeah. Well, then this is a beautiful segue then into one of the other questions. Someone who's currently doing uh, a show, a holiday show, they've got eight shows a week. Mm -hmm. They are singing, dancing, Mm -hmm. acting. What would you recommend for them for how they're taking care of themselves during this schedule? The simple message is to organize everything else in your life around physical wellness Mm. and voice care. You clued me into that question in advance, and so I brought a quote that I have from Hugh Jackman. Oh, okay. When he was on Broadway with the boy from Oz. Oh, yeah. He was in like 20 musical numbers. Yeah. For eight shows a week for a year. Yep. And the New York Times asked him what he did to take care, and here's the list. Oh, here we go. I have massages twice a week. I see someone for body alignment once a week. I do yoga once or twice a week. I train in the gym. I do Tai Chi. I steam before bed and in the morning. I meditate twice a day. I do normal warm-ups, and I have a singing lesson every day before the show for 15 minutes. Wow. So everything else in his life was organized around staying fit, staying strong, staying balanced, and getting enough rest to do that show. Now, he's Hugh Jackman. He could afford it. He can afford that, yes. If someone is doing eight shows a week with some other day job or with little kids at home that they have to talk to or an aging parent that they have to take care of who's hard of hearing or all the other things that happen in life, you just shut down everything that you can to protect yourself. Do not try to just power through because you might power through And then you end up in January with a pretty bad boo-boo on your vocal cords. Yeah. I have a blog about that called Winterize Your Voice. I will definitely be sharing the links to all of your your blog entries. You had one that was on the self-care during the wildfires as well, which I referenced a few times when this was all happening. 
Um, I actually brought a few stories of people that I've seen that were touring performers yeah. and why they got into trouble. Oh, great. If if that would be of interest. Yeah, please. In each case, singing wasn't the problem. Mm. The rest of their life was the problem. Yeah. There was one person who was in one of the major shows who was touring. You know, he had the same role for a couple of years. Yeah. Got bronchitis while on tour and partly because of his own work ethic and because of the attitude of the producers, didn't take any time off oh. and sang through the bronchitis oh my gosh. for a month and pushed himself and ended up in the doctor's office yeah. with trouble and had to, had to really take months away and life crisis and identity crisis and all, yeah. of, the, all of the strain. Somebody else was also in a major show on mm -hmm. tour didn't have any health problems, but had gained a bit of weight and was under pressure to work out more. Oh. Started going to the gym really heavy with bad form, holding his breath while he pushed a lot more weight than he was used to. Gosh. Popped a big polyp on his vocal cord oh because gosh. it was, you know, if you're lifting more, so much weight you have to hold your breath, your vocal cords are lifting the extra weight. Oh, wow. So that wasn't cool. I have never heard of that. Yeah, it happens. The third story was someone, again, in a major show. And what it turned out is that a year before I saw her with the vocal problem, she'd had a miscarriage mm. and some other relationship stress on tour that she hadn't had the time to deal with. So she had been physically debilitated, hormones fluctuating, and had just kept going. Oh. And after a while, long term, the breath support changed. The self-care wasn't there. Mm. So again, if you're in those kinds of situations, you just have to be super mindful of taking care of the physical instrument that surrounds your voice yeah. and the mental self-care and the spiritual self-care because the vocal cords will thrive if all of those other things are in place. Yeah. Along with good technique, which we're kind of taking for yes. granted here. Of course, of course, yeah. Yeah, so much of what I'm hearing is that the idea that we we already experience so much intensity in our lives that's just so ingrained in our culture. I mean, I very much grew up with you work hard. You work hard, and especially when we're in the uh, you know, gig economy where sometimes you have to work three or four jobs in order to get by. Mm -hmm. It's really affecting our bodies. And I very much have felt a difference in myself over the last few years where I was at the peak of, you know, teaching at three different studios, plus my private clients, Plus, you know, having a life and relationships and things like that. And then slowly going, I need to eliminate this and I need to eliminate this. And again, I'm in a position where I'm able to do that, thankfully. But the difference that I felt on my health since doing that has been really profound. The, the, the vocal loss for me was a big wake up call of this is, this is something bigger mm -hmm. is happening mm -hmm. here. Yeah. Yeah, th th this is common. The vocal cords, God bless them, are really good indicators of how well-balanced the rest of our life is. Yeah. They're in between the mind and the body. They're affected by everything. They're in between our core self 
and the outside world. So they're affected by the boundaries we set of how much we give to the world, vocally or otherwise, mm. and how much we take care of our own inner selves. Wow, yeah. That's what they do. Yeah. If we sign up with the universe to be voice people, we're signing up to take care and live a balanced life because that's how the vocal cords will thrive. Yeah. Oh, that's that's profound. <laughs> I'm hearing you saying vocal cords. What What's the, the difference? Is there a preference for you between calling them vocal cords, vocal folds? Is it just a preference Vocal thing? folds are a little more modern and a little more accurate. Uh-huh. But I grew up saying chords. Great. And so I'm kind of agnostic and casual about it. Yeah. And I think most people hear they're, vocal they're, cords they're more shelves commonly. They're shelves. Yeah. And folds. They're not individual little stringy chords. Uh-huh. But whatever. <laughs> so then talking about that, I'm going to ask you, this is by far the most technical question that we got. Mm-hmm. So the question is... What is the best self-care routine for laryngeal isometric episodes? (laughs) And I read that and I said, I don't know what a laryngeal isometric episode is. Beautiful. And I shared with you that the person who sent in this question studied voice pedagogy in the UK, in London. So wondering if this is probably terminology that exists over there that probably doesn't exist here because you've never heard this terminology. That's right. There are laryngeal isometric exercises. And what does that mean? What is laryngeal? Laryngeal is, is larynx. R- related to the, v- the whole mechanism of the voice. Yeah. And there are some particular exercises that we sometimes use with vocal weakness or paralysis okay. that involve an isometric strengthening. And I'm not going to even <laughs> attempt to describe that in this setting. But an isometric episode, I would have to interpret into Americanese as a laryngospasm. Ah, okay. Which is a medical condition that can have a variety of causes. It is sometimes referred to as a paradoxical vocal cord dysfunction. Okay. Or simply a vocal cord dysfunction. The vocal cords, as I mentioned, have a main job of regulating airway. Mm -hmm. And most of the time when we're just quietly going through our life breathing, the vocal cords are supposed to be apart in an open position. Mm -hmm. Once in a while, something goes wrong in the nervous system and they slam shut when the person's trying to breathe. Oh, gosh. And so you can't get a breath in because the gate is closed. Yeah. This is never life-threatening, Okay, but it is really, really scary. Yeah. And it takes a pretty skilled medical team to sort out all the different reasons why it might be happening. Uh-huh. It can be reflux. It can be allergies. It can be anxiety. It can be a neurological thing. Um, and it's usually a team approach to diagnosis and then referral to a speech pathologist who is skilled and has a particular training in how to treat it. Wow. And and again there are a couple of specific exercises that are usually taught but I wouldn't I wouldn't try to do them in this yeah. setting. If people are concerned about it, there's a, a lot of information on a website called nationaljewish.org okay. which is a big research center in Denver okay. that pretty much identified this problem and if you look up vocal cord dysfunction 
they'll have a lot more information about it and referrals to medical teams around the country, probably around the world, who can provide treatment. They're very responsive over the phone. And uh, I would refer people there if they're having any kind of difficulty with that. Okay. So when I looked that term up, laryngeal isometric episodes, I came to a website that it was not at all clear to me what it was, but they mentioned something about nodules and polyps, which I more just want to know, can you explain, because we hear, I think, a lot in pop culture mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. like Adele has vocal nodules or insert Actually, celebrity. she had polyps. She had polyps. Okay, so great. <laughs> so what is what are vocal nodules? What are the polyps? What does that mean? Okay. They are the most common vocal injury. Uh-huh. A lot of singers are terrified. Oh my God, I've got, at least I don't have nodes. Well, actually, nodes are the simplest thing okay. to have and the simplest thing to treat if they're caught early. Okay. As the vocal cords vibrate, they bang together. Mm-hmm. And if you're singing high or being loud or using your voice for long durations of hours of time or days or weeks, then there's more banging going on. Mm. And if there's too much banging, your body says, I want to put a little extra tissue there for protection. Ah. And so a nodule is a callus. Okay. And a polyp is a blister. Oh. Meaning the polyp is softer. There's a little more fluid with it. The nodule is simply a few extra layers of the surface cells that are there for protection because the vocal cords are getting tired of hitting each other that hard. Wow. And so vocal rest and retraining can help a great deal if they're caught early. Yeah. If they've been around a while and the person's trying to sing around it or, oh, that sounds kind of rough and cool and I think I'll keep it for a while. Yeah. You know, and then you get to a point three years later where there's a bigger problem, then it's a little trickier to treat. And then in those in those cases is like surgery is one of the things that I've heard of, right? Is that a pretty sometimes, common? Sometimes surgery is recommended. Uh-huh. The best voice doctors are the ones who are extremely conservative. Yeah, okay. So if somebody has seen a voice specialist who says, oh yeah, you've got nodules, you've got polyps, I'm going to take you to surgery, I would get a second opinion right away. Okay, yeah. Unless you're really having trouble breathing. Yeah. If the polyp is so big that it's blocking your airway, yeah they're going to want to do something right away. Wow. But the more skilled the doctor is, the more conservative they're going to be, especially with a singer. Yeah. And they're going to send you to voice therapy first Mm. to see if they can resolve it with more conservative treatment. Yeah. I remember reading an article, this was many years ago, and it was about Adele specifically, but they were talking about these differing viewpoints where People were saying her training, she doesn't have the training that she needs. She clearly needs different training for her voice. Where other people were saying, actually, it's just that that schedule is so grueling. Anybody could lose their voice. Right. I remember that controversy. Yeah. What's your sense of that Um, opinion? I'm going to talk in general rather than about Adele in particular. And the general answer is both. Yeah. Many young singers are plucked from obscurity because they have no training and no experience Mm. and are then thrust into a very intense schedule of social media appearances, public appearances, concert tours, recording sessions. 
that's kind of an unreasonable amount of demand, even for someone who has a lot of training. Yeah. And for a newbie who was picked because they sound so fresh and untrained. Right. It's really dangerous. Mm. But the producers and the labels don't care, ultimately, because they want that fresh talent and they're going to use them up and make as much money as they can. And then if you can't continue, okay, we'll get the next person. Yeah. So in most of these cases, it's a combination of inadequate training and preparation and very unreasonable demands Yeah. that are just built into the industry. And so if somebody is heading on that career trajectory, you want a really good medical team checking you before, during, and after. Mm. You want... Very, you want the best coaches to be with you and all of the other self care rather than all the partying. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, lifestyle has a lot to do with it. Training has a lot to do with it. Schedule has a lot to do with it. And the world of demands and yeah. the audience demands. I remember reading in, in the case of Adele of an audience members who felt personally betrayed and abandoned because she had to take vocal rest. Oh. And that's really a little too much to put on an artist. Very unfair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad people love her voice that much. She, she's amazing. But there's a human, but there's a human, <laughs> there's being, a human there. Yeah, there's absolutely. a human being behind, behind the voice. Yeah. yeah. So I want to switch gears a little bit then sure. and talk uh, mucus for a moment. Sure. What is post-nasal drip? Um. Post-nasal drip is a normal function. Our bodies make at least a quart of phlegm every day mm. as lubricating <laughs> fluid for the airway and other parts of the body that, uh -huh. that need basically, you know, the, it's like the oil in your engine yeah. keep, keeps things lubricated and moving. If it gets a little bit thicker or there's a little bit more of it than usual, uh -huh. then we start to notice it. Uh, and yes. describe it as post-nasal <laughs> drip. Yes. So that's an indication that the upper airway, your nose and mouth, are not as comfortable as they should be. You're allergic to something or you have an illness that's triggering a little extra secretion. And suddenly you're more aware of the gunk that was otherwise there all the time being swallowed and managed and thinned out yeah. normally. Yeah. And so I've always thought about or I was thinking last year when my vocal folds were, uh, when I lost my voice completely, I was thinking that there was mucus like going on to the folds. But is that not very likely because of what no, you were they describing? Can, they, they, it can drip straight down. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But there can also be the sensations of phlegm and the desire to clear throat that aren't really phlegm. Yeah. They're your cords feeling a little bit heavy and sluggy for some other reason. Ah, okay. Again, it's just down physically out of sight and neurologically out of mind yeah. so that we don't get really clear sensations of what's going on there. Mm, okay. And there can be other things that are irritating the vocal cords, leading you to clear your throat. And the person in my office is saying, but I'm just convinced I have a lot of phlegm and we've looked with scopes and there's no extra phlegm. Yeah. But there's other stuff going on that feels like phlegm. Okay, so this this is probably a good segue to another question then, which is for habitual swallowers, are there any exercises that they can do? 
Well, I hope that we are all habitual swallowers, yeah. otherwise we're going to die of starvation. <laughs> Beautiful, yes. Again, swallowing is a normal function, uh-huh. but for some reason, if someone's asking about it, it means that they have become more aware of it than usual. Mm. And that could be because something has changed in their ability to swallow, or that something's changed psychologically that they're suddenly more aware of it. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're anxious about something else. And they happen to notice that they're swallowing a lot. And so the anxiety gets pinged over to what's wrong with me that I'm swallowing. Yeah. Rather than identifying the other thing that they're really worried about. Yeah. Or there can be other generalized discomforts in the throat. There could be some extra reflux going on. There could be some extra phlegm or drip or changes in saliva such that you are swallowing more than more than normal. So if you can kind of distract yourself, that's the first thing to try. Yeah. And if that doesn't work, then go see an ear, nose, throat doctor. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that answer. It reminds me of uh, I've been working with organic intelligence. So it's, it's a kind of an offshoot from somatic experiencing. Mm-hmm. Steve Hoskinson okay. was a... Mm-hmm. a somatic experiencing person for many years, but they talk about the the what's wrong attention uh-huh. and that so many of us were, were almost programmed at this point to go towards what feels uncomfortable and something like swallowing could very much become the what's wrong when there's actually nothing wrong, right? Uh-huh. So I love that you you really clarified that it could be anxiety or or something that your body is telling you to go there, but actually it's not serving you to, or it could be something that's worth going to the doctor about checking. Right. We're so complex. And the throat especially is that complex. Yeah. In, in relation to that question, I was thinking about how much of artistic training, certainly theater training, involves increasing awareness. Yeah. And we want to be so into our bodies and noticing where the breath moves and noticing whether our toes are meeting the floor equally and all of this wonderful pulling into consciousness Uh of stuff that was unconscious. And that's really, really helpful in a lot of ways. And I have thrived on that aspect of theater training and Fitzmaurice training and so Uh on. But sometimes we're getting too much information. 100% agree. (laughs) And the focus of attention is a little fixated and a little too somaticized. And then it's very helpful to kind of dial it down. Yeah. And under and let things go back into being unconscious. Yeah. I went through a period a couple of years ago that I was thinking about in this context, when I got very frightened about driving. Uh. I thought, am I getting old? Is my cognition shifting? Is it, you know, the car doesn't work, whatever. And part of what was happening is that the more I thought about, now I want to be really careful that I'm watching everything happening at that intersection. And the more I thought about it, the worse it got. Yeah. Now, I used to drive cross country by myself as a musician. Yeah. It's not like I'm an inexperienced driver. Right. But it was something that was so automatic that when I tried to make it conscious, I got all bollocked up. Yeah. And I had to begin to trust, oh, look, I just made that left turn, and I was fine. 
and start to focus on what I was doing well and kind of trust that I knew how to drive. Yeah. There's still some aspects that I stay away from now because my brain is changing with age. Yeah. And I know what's safe and what's not. Yeah. But it was a really interesting shift of my own focus of attention of letting the unconscious things do their thing and yeah. trust that. Yeah. Yeah. I find that with people doing voice training that I'm often going, maybe we don't pay attention to your breathing. Maybe we just ignore it for a while because so many people, as soon as they're giving that attention to it, it ends up becoming anxiety ridden. And it changes. And then it changes. Exactly. And then we're in the quantum universe. We're observing something changes it. Yeah. So not always for the better. Yeah, exactly. So I, yeah, I've been encouraging so much like how we're being curious about, I should say, how much of that interior awareness is useful and then breaking it up with observing our external things so that we're not so hyper aware, especially with what I do for a living and what I'm teaching people. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a very technical question. This is a, it's a very specific question, I should mm-hmm. say. So I'm going to give a little bit of context behind this question, the the person who wrote this in their context. So they said, I've been clenching my teeth in my sleep over the last year and a half, and my dentist recommended a hard mouth guard for me to wear at night so I won't grind my teeth into nothing. (laughs) I haven't been super consistent with wearing it, but I have been lately, though now, even when I'm not wearing it, I have a lot of tension and soreness in my tongue and throat, almost like the root of the tongue. I imagine it's all stress-related, but I was wondering if there's any stretches or exercises you can do to relieve tension in the face, jaw, tongue root kind of areas. Well, to answer the end of it first, yes, I teach a lot of stretching exercises for the base of the tongue. Yeah. And simply sticking your tongue way out (laughs) and holding it there for a little while and going from there into a big juicy yawn is one of the best. Great. There can be ways of massaging under that area and massaging around the jaw and sort of rotating through those things in sequence several times can be very, very helpful. However, to answer this particular question, tension or stress in this kind of context means that muscles are working in a way that they don't want to be working. Mm. And if wearing the mouth guard is changing the positioning of your teeth and jaw so that the tongue doesn't fit comfortably in the floor of the mouth like it's supposed to, and if it's in that odd position overnight that it doesn't like, then you need to talk to the dentist and say, this mouth guard doesn't fit correctly. Okay. We have this cultural belief that muscle tension is a bad thing. Yeah. It's almost an immoral thing, at least here in California. Well, tension is work. Muscles work. That's what they do. Yeah. They constrict. And if something's in the way, your tongue is going to tighten up and try to stay out of the way. If that has become uncomfortable in the context of some new habit like a mouth guard, then you pay attention to it and say, this is distress. This is unhappy. How can I make it better? Yeah. Yeah, I know Catherine Fitzmorris will always say, tension is your body trying to take care of you. So in a case like that, it's a really, ooh, that's a big alarm that I need to listen to. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is not such a, a perhaps technical speech therapist question, but I'm I'm interested in your thoughts on it. How do I control my voice going up when nervous in meetings? And I am particularly interested in your thoughts on this because of your research on the polyvagal theory and performance. I suspect there's a lot of connection to that. Well, there are two questions here. One is about how to not be nervous going into meetings, exactly, <laughs> which is a whole performance anxiety thing uh-huh. that I think I will not really address. Yeah, But when we're keyed up, when there's adrenaline in the system, muscles are more tense and vo- vocal pitch tends to go up. Yep. So that is, again, a somewhat normal physiological function, but I understand why the person is concerned about it. Yeah. And what I would recommend is a couple things to practice slow breathing Mm. with a consciousness of letting the belly soften, Mm. what we would call low diaphragmatic breathing, Mm -hmm. and to practice that when you're not right going into the meeting, but as a conscious practice so that you get good at it, that not only calms the nervous system, but it actually physically pulls the larynx down into a slightly different posture where you're more likely to get a lower pitch. Yeah. And if one would practice that multiple times, like I'm going to do six slow breaths, and then I'm going to practice saying what I usually say to begin my meeting presentation, you know, my topic or what I have to present is, and you practice doing that after some slow, deep breathing, you're more likely to walk into the meeting feeling ready. Yeah. There's another image that might be relevant which is of the bullfrog. Huh. And imagining that your throat is big and, again, we're looking for a slightly lowered position, a slightly wider position, the jaw is loose, and the larynx is going to sit a little bit lower, and that's going to help the pitch come back down to a normal setting. And one can practice that sensation with the slow, deep breathing as a kind of preparation practice. Mm. Yeah. I appreciate that you mentioned that this is not necessarily something that you do right before you go into the meeting. You can. You certainly, you certainly can, but, but it's, it's going to be more effective if yes. you've practiced it five times a day for a month before that. Yes. So that it's automatic. And that is true with most things in life, that we yes. need a practice in yes. order for it to benefit us. Yes. Yeah. Well, Joanna, thank you so much. Do you have anything you want to add to any of the themes that have come up from the questions? I think we have touched on most of the uh, most of the philosophy that I would offer. Hmm. I will mention that I have a book called Everyday Voice Care. Yes, that is easily available as an ebook or as a physical book, and it covers an awful lot of lifestyle stuff. It is not about technique. It's about everything else. Oh, beautiful. Food and drink and rest and travel and telephones and alcohol. Yeah. (laughs) um, Other little tidbits of self-care. And it's it's designed for busy people. So it's not a heavy textbook. It's in little bites that you can browse through and uh, invite people to check that out. Lovely. Yeah. And I'll definitely include your website and a link to where to find the book in my episode notes as well. Okay so that folks can find that. Well, thank you so much, Joanna. It's my pleasure. Happy to keep voices healthy. That was Joanna Kasdan. 
Be sure to check out voiceandspeechwithryan.com slash podcast to find show notes with the links where you can find more information on the topics we discussed, including info on where to find Joanna and her book. If you like what you heard, please share this podcast and let me know what questions you have about your voice, speech, or presence. You can contact me at voiceandspeechwithryan.com. Until next time, bye. Bye.